Thank you, worship team. Before we start um, any uh, learning about God's Word, one of the best places to begin is, is worshiping God. And uh, we, we need to have hearts that are ready to hear what His Word says. And, and I would like for you to think about this, not that this message would speak to uh, your spouse or maybe your kids or your neighbor or your boss, but think about yourself. And remember this. It's a real simple thing. I can't change the world, but I can change myself. And then I have the opportunity to change others. And, and so this message, and it begins, uh, stewardship of trouble. Don't waste your conflict. Oh, I don't like conflict. Um, I'm teaching a book on Sunday evenings called The Peacemaker. I don't know if, if, if everybody here has read it. Uh, it's a great class. And, and in it, I actually got a phone call from Germany this past week. And the guy says, I have this problem. And um, me and my wife are doing the, this problem. And I suggested to read this book. And he said, oh, I, I just read the Bible. And I said, well, it's got the Bible in here, and it puts the conflict areas and the responsibilities, and it's a great place to look and examine, hey, is my heart right with God, and is my heart right with others? And so uh, Sunday evenings, uh, we've had one class, and um, but I'd love to invite you to that if you want to know more about peacemaking and what does that look like. And so um, the heart matters. Number one, the heart matters. Uh, Jesus speaks to um, the religious leaders and asks the question, why do they ask this question? Because there's 613 commands. And, you know, if you, you can't get 613 commands, probably right. Shouldn't you find out what the greatest one is? And then if I get that one right, I would be in favor. Yeah, I'd, I'd be in God's favor. At least I've got that right. And Jesus answers... The question, which is the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Think about this. A young man comes and talks to his wife or a future wife and and proposes marriage. And he proposes this way. He says, I love you, mostly. There is one other person that is that I have some thoughts, but I think the wisest choice is to pick you. And, and I am going to go this way, yet sometimes I might stray back to this other way. Please help me be the person that doesn't regret the choice I just made. And, 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 and I don't believe in violence, but if she would hit him, I would understand that. And yet that's where God wants us to be. All our heart. This text says all of our heart. If we get the heart right, if we have this relationship right, this relationship will be right. Because if I love God with all my heart, I love the things that God loves. And so it's just, it says, it's like the second one. The first and the greatest commandment And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So we must have a whole heart of love for God and the desires what is best for everyone who's involved in the conflict. And and I say that when we have conflict, 
We don't think my, my will be done, God's will be done. Oh. But God, I, I know I'm right in this conflict, and, and I must, it, it, I know you know that I'm right. And, and, and this is what I see is best. And yet, thy will be done, myself being the person that is truly wanting to serve the Lord in a wholehearted love for God, would require that I have that heart love. Um, the Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology writes, love of God is a response of the whole of the believer. And we need to understand the whole of the believer. And yet you might have conflict, salvation of a spouse. You're praying, God, I want my spouse to become a believer. If, if, that, if my spouse becomes a believer, everything will be right. And I, and I demand in my time. Mm. There's a lady that uh, I used to know. Um, uh, she'd been pr- uh, praying for 30 years for the salvation of her husband. God, what's taking you so long? No, no, no. I asked her the question. What did God teach you through those 30 years? Oh, and she, she loved the Lord. She had this beautiful testimony at work. And, and what God taught her through that, and her husband, he answered the prayer, but God answered that prayer. But, but it wasn't when she liked, or when I would have thought would have been better. And, and when we have a wholehearted love for God, it's thy will be done, thy timing be done. Point B, a wholehearted love for my neighbor reveals the condition of my heart. Hmm. I've already said if God loves these people, or since God loves these people, then I ought to really love them. And, and, and I, I have so many people that have said, well, I love God, but these people right here, ugh. And, and I tell them, that reveals your heart towards God. Oh, you don't want to pass judgment on God. Your heart must be right with God this way. And this way, loving my neighbor is demonstrated in my actions, words, and thoughts, which reveal the condition of my heart. My, my heart is either selfish or loving. When my heart is selfish, I, dis, I demonstrate a lack of love for God. Oh. Don't, don't, don't say that either or. Yeah, it's either or. Either I love him, just as at the beginning, I either love my spouse with all my heart, or I don't. It's an either or, and 90% is not a correct number. It's 100% or it's not 100%. And, and we, uh, Peter writes in 1 Peter 4, 8, how important is this? Mm. And it comes from Proverbs 10, uh, 12. Above all. What does above all mean? Mm. I don't always like those words, God. Above all, love each other. And there's not a comma there. And, and yet I say a lot of times, love each other. It would be easy to put a comma there for the 90% or 95% people in my life. And, and it says, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. We need to understand we must have a love for the people around us. Okay, point number two. Why do we dislike conflict so much? 
And in the uh, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, uh, in their pamphlet called Pain of Conflict, says only a masochist would find pleasure in conflict. Some people do like to debate, and they enter into a kind of verbal sparring with eagerness, failing to realize that it is not a similar enjoyment experience for other people. Conflict carries a cost, emotional, psychological, and relationshipal. In other words, sometimes we kind of like to debate some things, and yet when that person gets angry and they're hurting, and, and we're different. You know, some people think real quick and fast. Other people, they work through things and think through, and, and, and the people that think things through usually come to a answer that is a better answer than if we quickly think, and then we have to work through the wrong things that we may choose. And yet some people that speak very quickly or like angry and, 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 and they, they, they don't mind that quarreling and that fighting. They really don't think about the brothers or sisters. Christ. There's a, a lady that I knew and I was working in a group and and um, she's very intelligent and she liked. She says, I like arguing. Yeah. And she's a Christian. And, and she said that it doesn't bother me. You know, I walk away and it's no problem. And, and I'm going to say a lot of times when I heard her do that, it's because she won. Huh. She was sharp. And yet, in that, we got to think about our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and I'll give you a bad example. It's me. And, and, and uh, so, so one day she was trying to show off and said, what is that pointing to a rock over there, meaning what kind of rock that is? And I said to her, and this is in a group setting, that's a rock. I'll spell it, R-O-C-K. Oh, she got so embarrassed. And everybody laughed. That, that taught her humility, didn't it? And we think, and sometimes we feel, we go by our feelings instead of what God tells us to do, and we feel good for the moment. That's not where we need to be. That's not where we need to be. We need to be and understand what God's Word says, and and we need to be faithful. So in point A, actions are hurtful. Point B is going to be words can uh, cause deep pain, but... First off, actions are hurtful. Do you know what the new norm in conflict is? I was reading an article. The new norm for people in conflict and they're really angry at the other person is, in the article it said, ignoring the person. And, and in the story, ignoring, they had several people that described their feelings. Do you know what it's like to not even matter in that person's life as they ignore you? They won't even answer. They, they treat you like you have no value at all. Actions have power and we must not do, uh, we must not do the things that would not honor God and would not love others. Words can cause deep pain and destroy relationships. Uh, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never harm me. That is so untrue. Words cause unbelievable deep pain. James chapter 4 verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fighting among you? 
Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Quarrels and fights describe conflict in an extremely negative way. Let, let, let me describe, I think it's a real easy picture of passion. I want what I want, and I don't care what you want. And normally when I'm I want, and I don't care what you want, I use words to cause damage to you so that you will give in to my wants. And that's where we don't want to be. Proverbs eighteen twelve says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Now think about this. Okay, I could hit myself like that, but what would happen if I took a sword and drove with that same amount of in- energy into it? It would pierce and cut and cause so much damage. Now, we think about, you know, in the world we live today, there's a hospital and I could get blood and and all those things. What would have been like back then? No no infection. They'd give me medicine over here or something, but somebody stabbed me with a knife or a sword. and, and, And I could get healing. An ambulance comes up there, stops the bleeding. How is all that resolved back then? The pain that that is describing is an intense pain. They give me medicine so that I wouldn't have so much pain. So much pain and so much hurt. Reckless words pierce like a sword. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Think about that. When you have a conflict with some person, how many words am I using to bring healing? Now, One thing that we have to understand. If I'm using words to bring healing doesn't mean that there's healing. But I'm being faithful to God. We are so results orientated. We are so results orientated that when I... Well, that's what scripture says. Well, it might bring healing not today, but three months from now. Six months from now. Three years from now. I don't know. But I can, even when I'm having this conflict... I cannot look at results, but I can enjoy being faithful to God. And that's where my heart has to be. And if my heart is faithful to God, I will continue bringing wise words that will bring healing. And I'm not demanding God does it immediately. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 3, it says, It is to a man's honor to avoid strife. Man, that's where I want to be. But every fool is quick to quarrel. Quick to quarrel. There's a fight. They're looking for a fight. There's something you haven't said that exactly matches up. And they want to cause a quarrel. And we must avoid the strife. A man's honor to avoid a strife. Proverbs 15, 18 says, A hot Tempered man stirs up dissension, but a patient man calms a quarrel. If if there's a quarrel going on, I am striving. I said striving. I'm, I'm not always successful, but I am striving to end that quarrel. I calm the quarrel down. Proverbs 17, 1. What's he saying here? Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Okay, so so one of the things in Germany, when we had bread, because they didn't put a lot of preservatives in the bread, and, and the crust is not that, you know, like on you get a Wonder Bread, that nice little tiny crust. There would be this thick crust. 
and you'd bite in it. And, and they didn't have dentists like we have. And they may have some problems with their teeth. And they're chewing. Oh, that'd be miserable to eat. But he says, but he says, I should have brought some bread from Germany and left it here for three years setting out. And it would have been a perfect thing. No, uh, but, but he said, in spite of this great feast that you would have, it's better to have this crusty bread. Now, we think about a feast here. What do we do? Okay, if, if I'm going to throw a great big feast, I go over to Myers or whoever, Kroger's, and, and, I, and if I don't have the money, I just take a credit card out and I buy it, and I can purchase all these things. A feast back then was not so easy, and people lived very meager lives, and to throw a feast would have been a great thing to have, and yet he says, hmm, better to eat that dry, crusty, stale piece of bread than to feast with strife. I need to have a heart that's striving for peace and quiet in my life. Point number three, resolving conflict through examination. Resolving conflict through examination. Point A, examine my heart. I must examine my heart. And and I list two things here. Am I being a loving neighbor? Am I truly being a loving neighbor the way I should be, and, and am I being selfish? So one's positive, one's negative. And, and I'm not saying, you know, your neighbor comes over and says, I, I don't have money for this month's rent. Oh, here's my month's rent. You, you just take it and, and you pay your bills. I'm not saying that because uh, I could do that. But if somebody doesn't learn from why they are financially in problems, they'll be going to the next neighbor the next month. And they won't learn. And, and so part of what I need to do, can I help this person? And I'm going to say, when, when I really am loving and caring and thinking about that person, I'm working on solutions for them. Whether I give them something or not, I'm looking at wisdom. But I need to examine my, my own heart. And, and, and I say this. I call, uh, I call this my yellow light on my dashboard of a car. I, I don't know if you remember, it used to be always red, but then they started using this yellow light. And this yellow light, and one of the top reasons why the yellow light went off in cars uh, at first was because the gas cap wasn't screwed on. So if the gas cap's not screwed on, you know what I can do? I can screw the gas cap on. I, 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 I had a car also, if the yellow light came on, if I flipped the switch on it, it would give me a code and I would I would go to the auto dealership and guess what? They would tell me what that code meant and I would always ask, what? where's that part go and how much does that part cost? And I would determine, hey, I can fix it. I'll go fix it. That's where I need to be. When I'm examining my heart, I really need to make an evaluation in this conflict. And, and Romans 12, 18 says... If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Ugh. So what does if it possible means? Some situations are extremely difficult, but as far as it depends on you means that I will do nothing to provoke the situation. I'm going to strive not to provoke the situation. And, and I must be looking at that. And when I, my emotions get going, I usually say things that are stored in my heart. And I don't want to be there. I don't want to be there. I want to have a heart 
that is trying, even with the most difficult people, not to provoke the situation. And then I'm back to this situation. Am I trusting God? And am I being faithful to God? Am I doing what God's called me to do? If I've done that, what else can God ask me to do? What else can I do? If I'm being faithful, what you've told me to do in your word, and I'm doing it, then I really, I really am doing what God's wanting me to do. And I can have the greatest joy, even though the situation is very, very difficult. Number four, reserving conflict. Oh, reserving conflict through communication. The first one is speaking the truth in love. And, and it comes from Ephesians 4.15. Um, I just shared with um, our, our, our group on, on um, Sunday evening last week a, a deeper expression of what it means for these four. So I am, I'm going over them very, very quickly. So, but, but I'm going to briefly cover them. And if you have any questions, please ask. I'd be glad to go. Sometimes people say, Oh, I don't want to go to counseling. Oh, I don't want to go. I, you know, that's like six months. It could be one time. I meet with you one time and, 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 and we resolve everything and we go on from there. It could be two weeks. It could be three weeks. Whatever. And, and I don't force you and say, oh, you you got to come back next week. It's up to your choice. And, and, and usually the words come out of my mouth. Was this helpful today? Yes. Would you like to come back next week? But anyway, back to this. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. In other words, speaking the truth. And what does speaking the truth mean? Because what I do, I usually have this thought. I'm telling you the truth, and that's good for you, right? No, 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 no. No, no, no. Speaking the truth has more about them seeing that this is important for them. Okay? If I'm telling somebody something that's important, so you go ask for directions. What happens? I am listening to you because what you're telling me is helpful to me. So speaking the truth in love, I am telling you something that is helpful for you. So um, I, I read also um, uh, last Sunday uh, an, an article or apart from a book where where a lady's dealing with her husband and he has an anger problem. And she's speaking the truth in love. Now, she wants the anger problem to go away, but... He realizes here that his anger problem is destroying his marriage, but also his ministry. The truth was good for him to hear. And if we begin to think about not me winning, but what the truth will do in the situation for the person that you're talking to, you have a better chance for them to listen. Keep current. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, uh, be angry and do not sin. Think about that. Be angry and do not sin. That means righteous anger. And I say in my anger, 99.99%, my anger is not righteous. I have very little uh, righteous anger. I, I, I have a lot of anger that is directed to things that I would want different or I expect different. And yet... In my righteous anger, do not let the sun go down on your anger. <clears throat> Listen up. And give no opportunity to the devil. Do, 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 what do you think? The, the devil loves you and would like to have an opportunity in your life and he, he would help you out. 
It'd be like giving a con man money downtown somewhere or even in in Noblesville and thinking that guy is really going to help me out with this. It's not going to happen. I do not deal or let Satan have a way in my life. Many conflicts. One of the things about a conflict is, is we become historical. Oh, historical. How do we become historical? Okay, so if you dealt with a husband that had a, a anger problem on Monday, and he says, no, I don't have that problem. Hmm. And, and, and on Wednesday, he says, I don't have that problem. I didn't sin against you on, on Wednesday with my anger. And then on Friday, you, you bring up his anger problem. He says, I don't, I don't have that angry problem. And you go back to Monday and Wednesday. Wait a second, you're nagging him. You're going back and what he's already said, he doesn't have a problem and I am nagging him over and over again. If you keep current, the issue is this and I am staying here because you know what? When you go historical, guess where he goes? Historical. And you're not perfect. Well, at least I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. And he'll go there. And there goes the, you know, here's the conflict, and then it goes from here, it goes here, it goes here, it goes here, and it goes here. And then at the end you say, what did we start this fight over? We we don't want to be there. We truly don't want to be there. We want to stay current, and we know this, if there is a sin issue that is repeated in that person's life, guess what? If it, we've, we've done Monday, uh, Wednesday, and Friday, guess what? Uh, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday is going to come up again. And, and I'm going to keep on being current in the story that I shared with you. That's what she did. And, and if you do that right, guess what? That person, hopefully, sees what a blessing you were in their life. We need to stay current in our uh, conflict. Number three. C. Attack the problem, not the person. James 3, 5 through 6 says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, uh, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Think about that. What I, in my anger, and I, what, and remember what's stored up in my heart comes out my mouth. When I am angry and I say things, and then I say, oh, I didn't mean that. If it's stored in my heart and it comes out my mouth, then I did mean it. And that hurt, why do, why do people say, I didn't mean it? Because they see how hurtful it was. So I was over at the juvenile center teaching on, uh, one day and one of the kids raised his hand and says, my mom says to me, I hate you. Mm. So he's in jail and, and he's in jail for doing something wrong that must have not pleased mom. I said, how many of you guys have your parents say that to you? How many of them say uh, to you, I really didn't mean that? What you store up in your heart, you just better plan on coming out your mouth. Oh, 
That's why, and we're going to talk about the fifth point is forgiveness. And in and, and forgiveness, we grant forgiveness quickly. We grant forgiveness quickly so that what was there that was, and I didn't bring a match, but I put out real quick. And I don't let my tongue speak. I try to do that. I'm James chapter 1, verse 19, be quick to listen, slow to speak. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6 tells us what we should do. Let your speech always be gracious. What's gracious? We, we were singing about it. What's gracious and mercy? What's the difference? Mercy is you do something wrong and I don't give you a judgment. Grace, it's not about what you did. It's, it's, I'm just gracious to you. And that's what he says. Let your words be gracious. Do they deserve them? No. Seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Picture of salt, very expensive back then. Added flavor, preserved. This is a pattern in our life. So each time we answer, we begin to evaluate what I said and how I said it. Remember, at the beginning I said thoughts also matter. How I said it, because if my thought life is not correct, I may say, oh, that didn't bother me. Well, my thoughts lead to my arms crossed and the way and tone. It all matters so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. The more... I am a steward of this conflict, understanding where my heart is, and wanting to love people. It begins to mend in that way when I am answering a person correctly. Act, number D, act, do not react. Matthew twelve thirty four. you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Abundance. You stored. What's your storage shed look like? Or what's above the uh, garage? You know, when we went to Germany, we had the opportunity to empty out above the garage. Woo! Whole bunch of junk up there. Whole bunch of things we threw away. And yet, we don't evaluate in our heart and our life what what is valuable. It's amazing, though. In in, in Germany, we had this, uh, it's called a Kleiderschrank, and it's probably about six feet uh, wide and eight feet long. Can't store up a whole lot there. And if we would begin to have that thought, I am going to only store up things that are good and valuable, then that's where God would want me to be. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Think about that. Helpful for building others up according to their needs. That's speaking the truth in love. I'm thinking about what I'm telling them, uh, something that is helpful for their needs. And I'm saying it in a way that they will listen. And yet it says, do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Unwholesome comes from the word rotten. Okay. A lot of us don't mind giving people rotten words. Ugh. We just think of rotten. If if I had a plate here full of rotten meat, and and I say, "Oh, would you like to eat with me?" You say, uh, "No, thank you." Mm, real quickly, no, thank you at all. And yet, the difference is with words is I take that plate, 
and I say this, 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 un, uh, these rotten words, ugh, right in your face. It's yours. And I can't just get rid of those words. I, I have to get rid of them. But I'm getting the rotten words that God would not want me to do. We get emotionally charged, and then what we say, which are so hurtful, what we have stored up in our heart comes out our mouth. Be very prepared. Why do you see, Matthew 7, 3 through 4, says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? And, and I really wanted to bring up like a baseball bat and ask somebody if they got a speck in their eye. And, and I would take that baseball bat and I'd drive that out of your eye, wouldn't I? I'd be so helpful, wouldn't I? I, I would be this helpful person that, that would be... Um, Damaging worse than it was before. And what you want, specs are not, not helpful in life. We want to get rid of them. And yet, I, I'm called to purify my heart so that I can help somebody remove something that is very much a hindrance in their eye. You might say, well, you know, I'm not so spiritually strong. I have a, this, I, I might have this log in my eye, and, and maybe I shouldn't say anything. Diedrich Bonhoeffer writes, nothing is so cruel as the tenderness that uh, consigns another to his sins. In other words, cruel is being kind to them and not de- uh, demonstrating their sins. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe rebuke that calls a brother back from the pain of sin. And I don't like severe rebuke, but in Germany, um, just if you live there for a while, you get severely rebuked quite a bit. And, and it's not because of something you've done always, but it's something they perceived you've done. And part of the severe rebuke is they believe you should have known. But uh, that's the reason why in Germany you see two people arguing a lot. And they yell and scream at each other. And yet he says it, I wish you had said it a little different. And yet there's this compassion to be the person that brings that brother back from their sins. Number five, resolving conflict through forgiveness. Forgiveness is the key to a healthy spiritual life. And, and that spiritual life that we have is demonstrated. Is God doesn't go, you know, you need to do that. You, you, you didn't do that here. You needed to. He demonstrated. He demonstrated it. He demonstrated when he sent Jesus Christ to die for us, for our sins. He forgave our sins. Isn't that a beautiful thing? God is the pattern that we follow. In Matthew 18, 21 through 24, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Obviously, there's pain. Why should I have to do this? As many as seven times, he's gracious because three was considered the number that you needed to do. But being righteous as many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Do you think any way that Jesus was thinking, you know, because they didn't have paper like we have or computers. Do you think he's thinking, you know, write that one out. Could you imagine all the different people's names in, in this booklet that you would have that would be so long? No, no. 
He's saying multitudes of times. And I say, if I forgive him the first time and I'm recording it, well, wait, love says I don't record. How could I be recording it and counting? In here, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to the king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. What's 10,000 talents? We don't use that. Millions of millions and millions of dollars. Millions. Think about how irresponsible this servant must have been. How irresponsible. And yet, what does the king do? He forgets. And yet man's thinking of forgiveness, because we're going to know that the king is, is, is the father. But man's forgiveness is where we want to go and we want to follow Peter's uh, pattern and think humanistic. Well, I've done that once, two, three, four, five, six, seven times, and it's all on them. And I don't know how many times I hear people say when somebody's done them wrong, and I'm supposed to forgive them? It's not fair. And I just remind them what happened to the king. 10,000 talents. And, And now this relationship, if I'm looking at this relationship, and now they've done this to me, it doesn't even compare. And and the more I grant forgiveness quickly, the easier it is. So, Matthew 18, 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you. That's talking about the judgment of the unmerciful servant. And remember, his name is unmerciful servant. If you do not forgive your brother, and there's not a period there. From your heart. A complete forgiveness. Remember, this this guy's forgiven millions, millions and millions. If if you went to the bank and they sent you a note and said, you need to show up uh, on Monday. And and when you came in there and and the the banker said, you've got a home loan and you got two car loans and maybe you got an extra um, thing where you've got some kind of cash advance and and the the the, uh, banker would say, we had made a mistake and you know what, we we feel this is what we need to do. All your debt is gone. What would you do? Well, no, you shouldn't do that. I, I really don't think that's fair. Or would you be walking out of the bank going, yeah. And yet that's where we need to have this relationship. And when somebody does something wrong, back to this. And in in, in this story, which is more important to the unmerciful servant, the man or the money? He begins choking him. Choking him. What a picture scripture gives there. Choking this person. That's not where I want to be. I don't want to be there. And yet you may say, you know, what this person's done to me is not about money. If you do not forgive your brother from your heart is about everything. And if I do not forgive my brother, I will become bitter. I must become a forgiving person. We should forgive 
out of obedience, peace of mind, and love for others. Uh, uh, Obedience, we talked about in Scripture, peace of mind. When I have granted forgiveness, I will have peace of mind in that situation. I am trusting God. And that's where I want to be. And yet, when I grant forgiveness, I have a love for others. Ken Sandy, the author of The Peacemaker, writes... That's from this book. Peacemakers are people who breathe grace. Grace is what? Nothing they deserve. They draw continually on the goodness and power of Jesus Christ. In other words, when you're having a conflict and you're trying to resolve it, you're not drawing on your own goodness, but the goodness and power of Jesus Christ. And then they bring this love, mercy, forgiveness, strength, and wisdom to the conflicts of daily life. God delights to breathe his grace through peacemakers and uses them to dissipate anger, improve understanding, promote justice, and encourage repentance and reconciliation. That's where I want to be. That's where I want to be. I strive to be there. Or I want to be there in every way. And yet, what, what gets in the conflict? What is the problem? My heart. <sighs> 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So in, in the most mundane things, most mundane things, the most simple things we do over and over again, glory of God. How about forgiveness? Is that the glory of God? I don't want that. I don't want that. God, that's not fair. I don't like that. Can Sandy writes in the book, The most important, the Bible teaches that we should see conflict neither as an inconvenience uh, nor as an occasion to force our wills on others. Oh, that's what I usually want. But rather as an opportunity to demonstrate the love and the power of God in our lives. Conflict gives the opportunity where it's not normal. It's not normal to demonstrate the love of God in my life because I want to get even. I want justice. And yet, it provides one of the best ways to demonstrate the love and power of God in my life. We must remember conflict begins in the heart. And when there is conflict, there is an opportunity to sin. As the discussion begins and continues, there is a tendency to start judging the other person for example, in premarital counseling, we discuss the choking issue as we talk, or choice issues, choice issues like purchasing a new car or taking a vacation. And they start off, okay, well, we, I'd like to go to a vacation. And, and there might be, <clears throat> my father used to take me to this, but I love this. And, and well, you don't love me because this is what I love. And we start trying to manipulate people in choice issues and the the fighting and the anger because we place judgment on the other person comes out very, very quickly. Mark Rogers says we must strive to apply godly actions and attributes to our communication. We must be kind, benevolent, helpful, courteous, tenderhearted, compassionate, sympathetic, affectionate, forgiving, a willingness to pardon the uh, repeated guilty person and to work toward reconciliation. That's where we must be. Ken Sandy uh, writes again, the more you understand God's love, uh-oh, that's back to me loving God and power, the easier it is to trust him and the more you trust him 
the easier it is to do his will. This is especially true when you are involved in conflict. If you believe that God is watching over you with perfect love and unlimited power, you will be able to serve him faithfully as a peacemaker, even in the most difficult circumstances. That's a lot. It's probably nothing new. Probably nothing new to you. And yet it's a reminder. And do we do communion to remind us? It's a reminder. It's a lot of it put together. If you have any questions, please, please ask. I'd be glad to sit down and talk to you about it. But I'm going to tell you a little bit of the story of my life. Um, I became a police officer and at New York and East Street, I was going uh, in the right direction. I was eastbound uh, on uh, New York and uh, the other person was southbound on East Street and uh, they ran the red light and I had the green light and they took the front of my car off. No fun. Um, I look back at the car in my, my steering wheel, and the steering wheels are stronger today, but is all bent. My, my, my knee is jammed into the dashboard, and my back is aching. The lady, she, she, she doesn't have her seatbelt. We didn't used to wear seatbelts. She's sitting here in this seat, and, and as she gets hit, the, the, the collision, and her car goes this way, so she goes this way, and then she hit a telephone pole, Um, That was there. So she went from here to here to her forehead going into a mirror, Mm, the rearview mirror. And um, lots of pain, lots of blood also. And yet when she came into court with her attorney, she she pled guilty. She uh, tested 0.23, way over the legal limit, and said, you know, I'm guilty of this and, and I did wrong. But what we're asking is that you would give her a reduction in court costs. She's lost her car. She doesn't have the money to buy another car. Could you reduce that? And this young police officer sat there and the judge looked right at me. I still remember it. And he says, what do you think? And I'm the victim there. I'm not the police officer tested. I'm testifying as the victim. And I said, she caused me so much pain. She caused difficulties in my life. And I said, please give her the normal fine. She saw an unforgiving person that would not recognize her pain. Why wouldn't I grant forgiveness? If if he fined her $500 more, would that change the situation? No. If it reduced to $200... Maybe from 500 to 300, would it really matter? It would have been a heartful thought from the victim. Could have also, back then, would have been no problem to give in a testimony. You know, because of God, what God's done in my life, I could have given a testimony. I blew it. Second accident. I've had five accidents with drunk drivers. I drove a lot of miles, but, but I ran into some people that weren't so, such the best people in the world. Second accident, uh, I'm stopped along uh, I-70 there about Keystone, and uh, there's a car in front of me, and, and a drunk that tested, believe, 0.32, uh, ran into my car at about 55 miles an hour. You know, one of the things about unforgiveness is that you, you're not thankful. I just sat down in my car. I could have lost my legs. I walked through the two cars. One thing you're not supposed to do because if one car runs into the other car, your legs are probably gone. Uh, I survived that. And um, 
I struggled so much. I knew I needed to forgive him. I knew I needed to forgive this man. And I'd say the words, oh, Lord, I forgive him. And then it never came from the heart until at one point in time, I give up God. I forgive him. Now, let me just say this. Just because I say I forgive him doesn't mean Satan's not going to come back and work on my heart to say, bring that back up. That was unfair. And each time I've already granted forgiveness. Third accident. Got hit head on up in northern Indiana. I just came over the hill and this young man hit us head on. Um, another thing to think, be thankful for. I didn't wear seatbelts in the first two accidents. Third accident, I got the seatbelt on. Hmm. Praise the Lord. Um, the accident was severe enough I could have died. My wife, who's sitting there, who didn't used to wear seatbelts either, um, crawled into the back. She was pregnant with Brittany. And she was safe. And yet I can thank God for that. And yet this huge bang, this crash that the farmer heard the noise. And it was a major crash. I need to forgive him. What did I do wrong? What did I do wrong in any of the three accidents? Nothing. Nothing. And yet I needed to forgive him. Number five. I get hit head on again. This is after I left the, the state police department. And, and I start to pull, as the car comes over, I start to pull away. So the car is driven into the front left part of my car. Um, the door is smashed in. Um, my foot goes and jams into the brake. I feel like my foot's broken. Oh, pain. Oh, go to the hospital. Talk to the police officer. She's arrested. I believe it was .17 she tested. So not a little bit under the limit, but a whole bunch over the limit. And um, and at that point in time in my heart, I said, I need to forgive her. I, the, the other four accidents, I've never seen any. Well, I saw the first accident, but the other three accidents, I've never seen those people ever again. And in this fourth accident, police officer said she's in the next room over. And when I was released and as soon as she's uh, released, she's going to jail. And so I went over there, and her door was cracked open. And I knocked on it, and I, and, and I said, can I come in? And she said, sure. And, and I, I shared with her, I was the person that was the driver of the other vehicle. And yet out of that, I got to tell her the love of Jesus Christ. She started crying, and I said, I forgive you for what you've done. Tears start running down her cheeks. She says, can I hug you? I said, sure. And we hugged and we went from there. Unforgiveness gives a terrible testimony of my relationship with God. Forgiveness gives a beautiful picture of the God that loves us and wants people to change. How do you deal with unforgiveness? How do you deal with it? If you know you have unforgiveness, then... then, then Write it out. Why Why you, do you have this unforgiveness? Write out the person's name and the things that you can't forgive and write those things out. And then start working through each one of those issues and granting forgiveness. And when you grant forgiveness, don't, from the heart, you don't bring it back up. And start working through it. And if you've got 10 or 20, you'll get through it. 
but you're moving to where God wants you to be. I like also that you begin each morning reading God's word and asking the question, have I granted forgiveness? Lord, convict me where I've not granted forgiveness in other situations. And and, and, and this can apply to anything, pride, any issue, uh, humility, whatever you want to list there. And then go through the day, convicted. Maybe not so much. But you then, at the end of the day, read the same passage. I will say this, that many times that passage will speak to where your heart is. Oh, amen. That's encouraging. Oh, I didn't see that earlier. And it'll speak to my heart. And in that, I then begin to meditate on the day and see... Okay, God, I did good. Oh, with this. Oh, I didn't do so good. Um, I've had people say to me when they do that, they say it's one of the most discouraging things they've ever done. Ah! No, it's supposed to be encouraging because the God of, that loves you so much wants you to be holy and to get to where you need to be. You got to work on your heart. And we got to trust God and walk with him each and every day. But it begins with this relationship with Jesus Christ. Do I love my Father who loved me so much that he sent Jesus Christ to die for my sins? And it's not what I can do for him, but it's what he's done for me. I repent of my sins and I go in a different direction, trusting him. Have you ever done that? We're going to sing. And um, I want you to think about that. Am I right with God? Am I right with God? One of the greatest things that we need to do is to think about how am I being faithful with God? How am I being faithful in every area with God? Everything, if I understand who God is, I worship him. He is so greater than me. And I look in my heart. And if I got that right, I begin to deal with my heart in every way.